Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 161 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I just want to say a huge thank you. That's really where I want to start today. I just want to say thank you. You guys, um, okay, if you do a podcast like this, you kind of live in three time zones. There's the time I do the interview, which sometimes can be like months in advance of you hearing it. Then there is the time that I do this part of the podcast, which is what we call the intro extra, which is usually two or three weeks before you hear it. And then there's when you hear it. So everything is sort of sequenced a little bit differently. So I know this is going to sound like old news to some of you, but just thank you for the third anniversary of the podcast. I mean, this is the first episode I'm recording after that sort of little week of celebration is over. And I just I just want to say thanks. You guys made it great. Congrats to the hundreds of you who got free Starbucks. And thank you to the many, many more who were like, hey, the card's empty. Uh, we uploaded it, just if you're wondering, with $100 worth of Starbucks every day for a week. And it was disappearing in like eight minutes by, by the end when you guys caught on to the contest. So thank you. And that wasn't like one person hogging it all. It just, there, there's lots of you who listen. So I just want to say thank you. We're going to do that again in the future. And we also had kind of a, a prize pack, like a, a grand prize winner. And uh, so, hey, Chuck Carter, thank you so much. We had many of you enter and Chuck uh, one, my team just randomly picked one. And here's a little bit about Chuck's story because, you know, I'm always intrigued by your story. And I read them in every review you send, in the emails you send. And then Chuck said, my name's Chuck. I became the senior pastor of his church two weeks ago. So this is like two weeks prior to the contest. After serving for four years as a youth pastor, he's 29 years old, married with three kids, classic story of a declining congregation. Uh, one of the largest churches in their area 35 years ago. Now they have 100 people in a big facility. They're shrinking. And their pastor of 25 years stepped down a year recently and said, I don't believe I have the temperament or skill set to lead our church through this period of change, which is incredible humility on his part. So Chuck is like, I'm looking for help. And uh, hey, I hope this is what this podcast does. But Chuck also gets every book I've written, every course I've done. Um, and so that is, he gets free access to Lasting Impact Team Edition, the course on actually how to turn a dying church around, as well as the High Impact Leader, because he's trying to juggle, you know, married life with three kids and a big new responsibility. And uh, he'll get that even though that course is closed right now. And then he also um, gets the brand new Breaking 200 um, course that we just released. So Chuck, what a thrill. And oh yeah, he's also, we're going to hang out. So we're, I said a half hour, Chuck, I'm going to give you more than that. We'll, we'll hang out and kind of just hear your story. And if I can help in any small way, I will. So I just want you to know that is just such a joy uh, to be able to share with you guys. And I just want to say thank you. Um, and thanks for making that anniversary so, so special. Speaking of fun and free things, um, we've got a special offer for you for the Pipeline West Conference coming up in February 2018. I'm going to be speaking there along with a bunch of other great leaders. And Pipeline West is a conference that focuses on developing leaders in every church ministry and context. So it's unlike any other church leadership event because it's actual hands-on practical training and application that any pastor or church staff can implement immediately. It's happening in Orange County, California, February 22nd. And 
podcast listeners do two things. First of all, to register, go to myleadershippipeline.com and we've got um, early bird pricing, super early bird pricing on. But if you enter the coupon code lead like never before, you'll get an additional 10% off your ticket. So that's a great way to like register a whole team and everything. So just go to myleadershippipeline.com and you'll still get the super early bird pricing, but because you're a podcast listener, you'll get 10% off that by entering the coupon lead like never before. So really excited for you uh, to be there in Orange County, California. And uh, hey, Today we have an amazingly raw, authentic, open, honest conversation with Carlos Whitaker. A lot of you know Carlos from online. He is uh, an author. He is a former worship leader. You've seen him maybe at Catalyst. These days he's a speaker uh, and you've seen him on, on Orange Tour at Catalyst and in, in many, many, many other venues. And uh, Carlos talks about uh, just a, a really tough time in his life with his family. And so I just want to give a heads up. This is always a family-friendly podcast, and it is. You're not going to hear any profanity or anything, but it's a mature subject. It's just a mature subject. He's going to talk about just some real struggles he had that just about ripped his family apart. And uh, it's a powerful conversation. So just a little heads up on that. And in the meantime, let's jump right into my interview with Carlos Whitaker. Carlos, so good to have you on the podcast, man. Welcome. Thank you, my friend from up north, mi amigo. How I'm, are you, Gary? I'm doing great, Carlos. It's going to be fun to hang out an Orange Tour this fall once again. Yes, yes. Are you? Yes, how many good. cities are you in? By the way? I'm in. I'm. I'm. They've upgraded me to 12 cities this year. So, <laughs> last year I was at six. This year I'm at 12. So, well, we've we've switched places. I wasn't going to be at <laughs> any, and then. Uh, my immigration lawyer said it was going to be just fine with the visa that oh, okay. I hold for work okay. in the U.S. So there were seven or eight left by the time I got in. And uh, yeah. last year I did 12, but uh, it'll be fun. Okay. I know we're going to be hanging out and it's always a good time. And yes, Carlos, sir. I appreciate the dialogue that you're kind of starting in the church. You've got a new book called Kill the Spider. By the way, when you told me, I think we had dinner in D.C. Yes. about a year and a half ago, you told me the name of the book. Yes. And I'm just like, I had title envy. It doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while I see something, I'm like, oh, why didn't I think of that? But, oh, yeah, sure. I get uh, it. I know it's a, it's, a, it's a fun title. We've been able to, obviously, with, a, with the title Kill the Spider, there's so many directions you can go creatively speaking and marketing purposes and stuff. So we've had a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, that, that'll make sense by the end of this interview, I know, for a lot of people. But <laughs> yeah. you've been a Christian for a long time now in your adult life, and uh, you really are an adult. Happy 40th, by the way. Thanks, um, buddy. Appreciate it. But that, that doesn't mean it's within without its share of ups and downs, right? So tell us some of the life story you've had as a ministry leader. And, you know, we've, we've had a lot of mutual friends who maybe had to step out of ministry for a season or yeah. forever, and we all... Yeah. We all have different struggles, and you're Absolutely. talking about some that have been personal to you. So fill us in. Yeah, man. You know, so uh, I mean, you know, kill the spider is is going to be a lot of my life journey, and and a lot of it being in ministry, which is why I think it's going to be so impactful to ministry leaders in and of itself. But you know, for me, um, gosh, I I was I'm the son of a of a um, preacher. And mm -hmm. my dad was the pastor of Primera Iglesia Bautista de Pico Rivera, first bilingual Baptist church in Pico Rivera. And so I grew up in the church and I grew up, my dad would uh, preach his sermons um, since it was a bilingual congregation in East LA. He would literally translate himself. Dios es el mismo en inglés y español. God is the same in English and in Spanish. So he mm. would, 
he, he would preach his messages and they, and every thought, I mean, obviously it was incredible to witness when he would do this. I don't know how his brain would do that, but me on the other hand, I just, I thought it was twice as long because his messages were <laughs> twice. I mean, that, that, that's what they were, right? I'm like, oh yeah. my God, it's like, I can understand both languages, dad. Can you, you know, just stick to one? But growing up in the ministry, you know, growing up with a father in the ministry, you know, I don't have those those wounds and those baggage that a lot of my PK friends have. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a, I had a fantastic childhood. Um, my, my dad, you know, he's just a prayer warrior. And um, although it wasn't a perfect childhood, you know, it, it was, it was good. And um, growing up in the ministry, watching my father in the ministry, I never, obviously, I, you know, I never wanted to do that myself. I wanted to do something else. I didn't want to become a pastor. And, you know, here, I mean, God has a sense of humor. I find myself at California Baptist University, Oh gosh, I think this is going to be 1997. And my roommate said, Hey man, there's a church called, um, well, it's not really a church. It's a Bible study, but there's like 30 of us and we're turning it into a church. It's called Sandals Church. Would you like to come? Hmm. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I, I'll go. And so Carrie, long story short, you know, I, my first Sunday there, there was about 30 of us. 10 years later, I find myself still at that church on staff as the worship pastor now running 5,000 people. I was there from the beginning. It was, it, it was an, a blast. It was a, an incredible journey. And I was there um, as the worship pastor for 10 years. And in those 10 years, you know, that's when I got married, had our babies, adopted mm. Lesiah, the whole thing. But there was, there was definitely one kind of life-altering moment in my ministry that happened while I was on staff there, which I discuss in the book. I... I I was always a, I was always a worrier. I was always just kind yeah. of a, a a kid that worried, um, and that kind of continued into adulthood. And I'll tell you, well, I'll never forget the day. I mean, we, I was probably six years into serving as the worship pastor at Sandals, led worship every Sunday, was standing in front of the exact same people that I'd always led worship in front of, and at this point, we were probably running a thousand people. And I'll never forget, my heart started pounding. Everything went black. I I got super dizzy. I thought I was having a heart attack mm. and I immediately ran off stage. I have no idea what was happening. They called for a doctor. Uh, they stopped the service. A doctor came back. I was ready for him to take my pulse and tell me that I'm having a heart attack. And he looked at me and he said, Carlos, you're not having a heart attack. You're having a panic attack. And I remember huh. looking at him. This was, well, I guess 2001, 2002. I remember looking at him like, wait, that's what crazy people have. Like I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not a crazy person. And this was definitely before the church was hip to talk about mental illness or anything yeah. like that. But so I'll tell you that there was a moment in my journey that changed the trajectory of the rest of my professional ministry career. The rest of my life um, was this, this panic attack that left me with such massive anxiety that I had to stop leading worship. I had to st- I, I I couldn't even leave my home. Um, mm. I was, I was, completely and totally stuck and doing everything I could at the time to, um, to get out of it, you know, praying as hard as I could, reading, reading the scriptures I needed to read. And I, and I just was there and I couldn't get out of it. And so, you know, um, I mean, this is a real quick snapshot of my journey, which is what you've asked for, but yeah, you know, that, that was kind of major trauma point number one in my ministry. And through, through, through some stuff we'll talk about later, um, some healing that happened was able to, um, to, to get past that and to move, move past that, that moment where I was really bound by anxiety and panic move, you know, 
going on the next few years of ministry, healing in those areas, the church growing and exploding. Um, and then a mutual friend of both of ours, Andy Stanley, um, reached out to me 10 years after I started at Sandals Church and invited me to join staff at Buckhead Church, which was mm-hmm. one of North Point Ministries campuses. And so I moved my family from Los Angeles to Atlanta, Georgia, to work at Buckhead Church with Andy and Jeff Henderson, um, and spent three years there as a service programming director. I spent three, I mean, I'm telling you what, I would have paid to have this job. I mean, it was, it was that much just good stuff coming at me every day. I mean, I'm, I'm in meetings with Andy and Jeff every day, five days a week, learning leadership, learning, um, ministry. It was, it was absolutely indispensable. It was incredible. Um, so had an incredible time there. And then three years after that, um, I was leading worship at North point at the time, um, as part of my job, uh, three years after that, I signed a record deal with integrity music and, mm-hmm. um, moved to Nashville, recorded a record, started touring, and did music uh, with integrity as a worship artist for about three years, three and a half years, you know, touring and having a blast from there. Um, uh, right around the middle of that touring season was when kind of traumatic moment in ministry number two happened, where there was there was, um, uh, you know, there were some decisions that I had made um, looking back, medicating decisions that I made just to kind of make myself feel better about life that led to the loss of my family and led to the loss of my ministry at the time. Um, Mm. And so lost my family, um, moved out of my house, was getting applications at Starbucks and Home Depot. And um, in no way, shape or form ever would I think that I would be doing what I'm doing today, which is standing now, not only just singing, but standing on stages around the world, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, so spoiler alert, um, the Lord heals, the Lord restores. And, um, and there's, and again, we'll get more into that in a little bit, but I moved from, from that moment of trauma in my life to some incredible moments of healing. And that's really where the whole idea of kill the spider began to grow was out of the healing, out of the second traumatic moment in my ministry when I lost my family. And it was time to make a decision whether to chase darkness or to chase light. And so now I find myself, I'm not leading worship anymore. I'm speaking 100% of the time. I'm on my second book now, Kill the Spider. I'm enjoying kind of the the glory years of, of parenting as far as I've got a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an 11-year-old, and things are incredibly chaotic, but incredibly, uh, they're just, they're, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful time right now. Um, and I am at the point now, Carrie, where I am hoping that sharing a little bit of my life journey and sharing a little bit with some authenticity that there's people that can read my books, hear me speak, listen to your podcast that can know that no matter how far away they feel from God at the moment, no matter how far away um, life has taken them or kicked them to the side, God's in, in no way, shape or form finished with you. And not only is he not finished with you, but the future is absolutely bright and uh, and it's brilliant and it's glorious. And I'm now sitting in that Shalom. I'm sitting in that space hmm. where I think we were absolutely intended to sit. And I don't want to just keep this stuff to myself. I want to help people get to this place on their journey where they can be sitting where I'm sitting at such a place of peace, man. So there you go, man. There's the, there's the, there's the, the thumbnail. Notes. There's the cliff notes. But I got to tell you, those are some big bombs in there. I mean, whether that's uh, panic and anxiety, but even, I mean, losing your family. What, yeah. what happened, Carlos? Yeah, man. So you know, I had, um, let's see, I guess I was two years into touring and I had been, 
there'd been things in my life that I couldn't get past. I guess sins, Mm. sin issues in my life that no matter how many times the preacher would say, Carlos, there's four steps to, you know, uh, pornography proof your life or three Mm. steps to, you know, I'd always followed those steps, Carrie. And I would find myself after a few weeks or months of, of doing good at managing my sin, I would find myself back at that place. And so here I was in a place where pornography had, had, had taken root, deep root in my life. And then suddenly the pornography in and of itself wasn't enough to fulfill the Medicaid, the medication that my soul needed to protect me from whatever pain it was I was feeling. So suddenly it went from there into, you know, somebody on Facebook or Twitter will say, man, Carlos, some beautiful woman, Carlos, that, um, uh, that that blog you wrote absolutely touched my heart. Do, would you mind mm. if I if I shared with you a little bit of my and and here here's the moment of decision, right? I know that when that person shares with me whatever it may be, and and now 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 I'm speaking to anybody that's listening, right? We, you're all facing yeah. these 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 decision points where I could have said, you know what, actually no, but here's here's a number or an email of a friend of mine, female that you could talk to, but instead I said yes because I suddenly felt that medication again coming in to medicate the part of my soul that was in pain. And now it moved from pornography into real, a real life, full-fledged in a few weeks, really in a few days, emotional attachment to somebody else. And Mm. that emotional attachment took me on a journey over six months of this relationship that uh, inevitably, because I made that decision at that moment to chase after darkness and allow darkness in, um, I walked, uh, I walked out one, one, one after, I guess it was around 5 PM. And I noticed that my laptop was missing. My wife was gone. The car was gone and my kids were in the room oh, wow. and, and Carrie, it was the most gutting. I knew, I knew in that moment that, that I had been exposed and it was the most gutting moment of my life. And in, in, in a, in a second, everything was over. And I, I put my kids on the sofa and I remember looking at them, telling them, Hey, Hey, listen, things are about to change. Um, daddy made a mistake and mommy is probably going to come back and get you soon, but I need you to know that I love you. And I Carrie, it was the most mm. God awful gut wrenching conversation oh, wow. I've ever had. And sure enough, 30 minutes later, um, some of my friends, uh, my best friends on the planet, the Bergstrom's, um, Blake and Allie knocked on my door and, um, said, Hey man. And I knew, I knew, I knew they knocked on the door and they just kind of had a really sad look on their face. And she said, Heather wants the kids. And so, mm. you know, um, the, the kids, the kids left and I was left, and I had about 24 hours of making, I, I had to make a choice. Was I going to, at this point, continue to chase after the only medicating behavior that I knew? And now, talk about talk about a medicating behavior and the need for medicine, right? Now my soul is gutted. Now I'm vomiting and dry heaving on the toilet. Now I'm like, well, what can I do to feel better? Do I chase after God or do I go to the quick fix? And I'll, I'll never forget, I had 24 hours of decision making. And what am I going to do? Am I going to go back with the woman that destroyed that I had destroyed her family and and hindsight destroyed my family with that same decision? Or was it going to chase after healing? And I called my friend Mike Foster, who's a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this was I think this was 2010, 2009. Um, and I called him before I called anyone else. And I said, Mike, I've screwed up um, and I need um, I-, I need some help because I've screwed up and I've ruined everything. I've, I've destroyed my wife. I've destroyed my family. And I'll never forget what he said, Carrie. He said, Carlos, I, w- I need to tell you something before you say anything else. 
Right now, you're actually standing on truth. You could easily be standing on on lies, but you're standing on truth. So I need you to feel the 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 weight of the truth that you're standing on. Because you could have called me and said, hey, Mike, you know, Heather hurt me. And so because she hurt me, I went and did this, you know, but no, like you're standing on the truth of what you've done. So this Carlos that I'm talking to right now, I need to let you know that Mike Foster is for you. He is with you and he will be with you on this journey as long as you can continue to stand on truth. And whether or not this ends in divorce, whether or not this ends in you never preaching or singing again in your entire life. I'm with you and I will be with you every step of the way. And I'll tell you what, Carrie, that moment was single-handedly allowed me to see a grace from a Christ follower that I never imagined. And not saying that everybody was this way when I told them the news, right? No, no, I'm <laughs> sure that wasn't the case. We'll go you know, there. We'll talk yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, but, but yeah. But when Mike, when Mike told me that, I saw Jesus with skin on and I suddenly said, you know what, if, th- if, this, is what, if this is what it looks like, to be a Christ follower. If Mike Foster is what it looks like, I want to look like him. I want to be, so Mike, what do I need to do? And so began my journey towards healing, which, you know, I mean, it was, I, I did not talk to my wife for four months. I did not, so we did not have a single conversation together. It was all through mutual friends. Um, and, and then at, at month four, when we're sitting across from each other at a, at a counselor's office, finally, um, the Holy Spirit just moved inside of my wife to find some semblance of, of not forgiveness for my necessarily for the woundedness that, that happened because it was so soon and so fresh. But she said, because of what Mike had done and a few other friends in my life had surrounded me with, I had chased after God for four months and not chased after my fixing my family. Cause I think that that's the mm-hmm. mistake that most people make. I want to fix my marriage. How do I fix my marriage? Well, what I realized was, cause I tried that for about a month begging, pleading for forgiveness. Oh, please forgive me. That is not what needed to be fixed. That's like putting a Band-Aid over, over a cut on your arm when you have internal bleeding. And mm-hmm. so that, that, that would be trying, again, to, and if we can get a little bit into the metaphor of the book, that would be cleaning the cobwebs. That would be yeah. trying to fix the marriage is cleaning the cobwebs. What I needed to do was get to the root that caused my behavior in the first place, get to the root to the spider per se that was spinning these cobwebs and kill the spider. And so what got my marriage back wasn't cleaning the cobwebs of a wrecked marriage. It was killing the spider of a lie that had had me bound for so long. And and here I sit ready to proclaim this truth to so many people because we, we chase in the church today, we chase after medicating behaviors so much. I mean, again, it's five steps to a better marriage. It's three steps to personal financial freedom. It's three, you know, and all of these things, although yes, they're valuable. All of these things are simply cobweb management. We've got to get deeper to the root of the behavior that we're involved with. Yeah. It's a great metaphor, killing the spider as opposed to clearing away the cobwebs. So yeah, uh, but that, that, I mean, I don't know exactly what the stats are. They seem to go up every year, but you know, sure. let's, let's, let's just even say that there's a significant percentage, if not perhaps sadly, a majority of people listening to this episode who are leaders, leaders in business, leaders in the church world who struggle or use porn. It's just yeah. become the oxygen of our culture. Um, you've referred to it as sort of a problem that, that you've struggled with, but as a symptom 
not the problem of itself. You're using it to medicate pain. What did you learn about that? Like, how did that addiction start for you? Uh, And then you led worship effectively for 15 years with, with this porn thing going on in the background. Yeah. You know, I mean, here's the thing. God, God can use absolutely anybody, right? Like he, he, he is in no way, shape or form like pigeonholed or cornered by your gift set. So, you know, just because you may be listening to this thinking, well, I mean, I don't, apparently I don't struggle with porn as bad as Carlos is because I'm still preaching effectively and people's lives are being saved for (laughs) souls for eternity and, um, and all these things. And I'm still, I'm still looking at porn, but, but I've got a handle on it. I've got a handle on it. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing, you know, um, our, our brains, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. Okay. But I know that God has created our brains to, to function in a broken world. And so Mm. we're able, we are able to, to separate ourselves from, 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 from massive trauma in our life. We're able to do that. That, That's how, that's how come like a a child who's being molested on a daily basis can still go to school Mm. and play on the playground and have fun with his friends. Because they're, you're able to fraction the parts of you. David talks about this in, in the Psalms so many times, you know, where he literally is talking about himself, about parts of himself to God. Those are those fraction parts of our hearts and our minds that, that the Lord has allowed us to do. So that's how we can do it. See, see, we're not, we, we still have the fabric of God woven into us. You, I used to look at myself as a bad person who occasionally did good. Well, what switched mm. for me is I realize that I'm a good person that occasionally does bad. And even that simple switch for me, Carrie, was so massive in me realizing that's how I would fragment myself. I would I would watch pornography on a Saturday night and then Sunday morning stand in front of thousands of people and proclaim the goodness of God because I honestly, in that moment on stage, believed it. But in that moment on Saturday night, I was wrapped up in this lie. And so it's very possible for us to continue to exist, but you will never be truly 100% effective in in the, the the place that God has set you until you you get past those medicating behaviors again and and break break the ties of bondage and and that's what I had to do that that's where I had to get to is stop looking at how do I start you know I put like I put the triple X church app on my phone and I put, you know, the, these, these blockers on my things. I had an accountability partner who I would tell, you know, again, <laughs> all, none of those things are going to be effective until you get to the root and the soul and the trauma in your life where you've made an agreement. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll spread this out even a little bit more here. A, a spider is an agreement that you've made with a lie. Okay, so we all have mm. spiders. There are agreements that you make with lies. A cobweb is a medicator that brings false comfort to the lie. So let me say that again. A cobweb okay. is a medicator that brings false comfort to the lie. So when I, was, when I was trying to break my habits of pornography, I was trying to clean the cobwebs. I was trying to just mm. deal with the medicator. But here's the spider sitting in the corner waiting for three months of no pornography to come back in and spin it. I had to, I had to get past that to an agreement that I'd made at some point that that true intimacy wasn't available to me. I made a, an agreement to a lie that I would never find Uh. true intimacy. There it is. There is the spider. There is where I had to drive a stake through the heart of that lie. And that's where freedom came in. So that's what looking back on it, you believe was driving your porn habit. Absolutely. And, and, and 
when you know through therapy, I believe I believe therapy is yeah, absolutely yeah, invaluable for 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 leaders for anybody. But through therapy, I was actually able to get to the birthplace of this lie. I was actually able to get to the birthplace, the traumatic moment that happened to me when I was five years old that I had no idea even happened to me. And suddenly, Carrie, when I when I when my eyes were open to something that happened to me when I was a child that I had no recollection of up until I was in my therapist's office. And I talk about I go into detail about this in my book. When yeah. so what happened? Um, what happened when you were yeah, five? Yeah. So so I'm five. I am and th- again, this this memory didn't come to me until 2013. Yeah. Okay. So in 2013, I'm in therapy and all of a sudden I like every hair that I don't have on my head because I'm bald, but stands up on my on, on my head. I'm I'm completely uh, I completely start perspiring rapidly because I have a memory of being underneath a bed, naked, with a friend of mine, and and as I'm underneath the bed, I remember feeling such shame, and I remember feeling like just shame at the age of five, which is kind of weird. So, so again, therapist is talking, I'm having this memory in my head and I'm thinking, well, maybe we were just being, you know, curious five-year-olds. Like there's nothing wrong with that, you know? And then I remember thinking that the shame had nothing to do with my friend that I was holding on to and everything to do with somebody that is on the outside of the bed. And so what I realized in this moment, Carrie, was that I was naked under a bed holding on to another friend for dear life because we were scared of an adult that was standing uh, outside the bed. And so I'm suddenly in this moment of, oh my gosh. And so I start, I start trying to remember as hard as I can, what happened, what happened, what happened, what happened? And I can't get there. But the memory that came served me enough. Okay. Served me enough to know that this was a point of trauma and this was a point of of a decision that I had made as a, as a five-year-old to make an agreement, an agreement that would have me bound up until my thirties. Right. But mm. we, we, we don't realize that we make these agreements so subtly. And I was going to say, you didn't even make that agreement. I no. mean, it's not like you're sitting there as a five-year-old going, I'm not capable of intimacy, but yeah. <laughs> somehow that moment chiseled in your mind and in your yeah. psyche. And that's what sin does. I it mean, does. You know, we all have different poisons. Mine is that love is affirmed through, love is given through performance. And so I spent my 30s overcoming a performance addiction. Now, I still want to do well, but I want to do well for an entirely different set of reasons than I did in my 20s. And it's very liberating. What's liberating for you with your performance, right? And this is something that so many leaders can relate to is... Um, hustle has become like such a sexy, cool word in in leadership and in entrepreneurs, and you know. But but here's the danger: that the danger again is exactly what happened to you in your 30s. Is that you believe that you must perform to be loved. You believe exactly. that you must perform in order to. And so the the lie there is going to keep you bound, and then the cobwebs that that's going to spin is is working so hard that you slowly but surely drift apart from your family. The cobweb yes. that that's going to, you know, is, is, is all of these things. And so what, what I want to tell leaders again is they don't have to be, I mean, cause let's just be honest, like we as humans can categorize sins, not that God does, but we do as like the heinous, ugly, hairy sins. Right. And it's then, not porn. Yeah. But... Yeah. Yeah. And then the prettier ones, right. The, the ones yeah. that, that, you know, that, that may not look as ugly. And so even in my book, I tell people, at the very beginning, just because you may not have a hairy spider or a big thick cobweb 
<laughs> that looks so heinous doesn't mean that it's not true. I mean, a, a great example, exactly what you're saying. My wife got to a point where her spider was because she she's a she's a phenomenal um, entertainer. She throws parties. Mm. People love her parties. She loves to cook for people. So you would think that that those are good things, and they are. Sometimes the God-given desires in our hearts are the very places that the enemy can sneak in and turn those God-given desires into spiders. And so suddenly she believes, oh, well, I must throw parties in order for people to love me. I must mm -hmm. entertain people in order for people to love me. And there became there, there began the spider's birthplace, and then the cobwebs became, well, she's just going to throw parties all the time. Well, babe, we're not even spending much time together. I know, but we're going to invite some people over. you know. And then so you, you can start identifying a lot easier the more you have this conversation out loud, what are cobwebs and what are spiders? It's so true, Carlos. I think it's a universal thing. And, you know, for some it's sex, for some it's alcohol, drugs. I mean, we all medicate our pain differently. For some, frankly, it's work. And, yeah. you know, my spider didn't cost me my family, but it cost my family. Yeah. And to good. look back on that is, is like, yeah, I didn't lose my family, but it's expensive. And it, is. it destroys the intimacy that you have with God because, you know, you, you and I know this on the inside of the church, but like you look at all the insecurity church leaders struggle with. Oh, totally. And how much of that can be traced to a spider, to a lie that they believe that yes. I'm not worth loving, I'll never be worthy of intimacy. I'm only as good as my last performance. As long as everything's up and to the right, everything's fine. If it's <laughs> right. down and to the left, I'm a disaster, right? Yep. Nobody loves yep. me. I mean, it goes on and on too. I have to throw parties to be valued. Um, you know, this is so good. So how, and somehow that, see, this is the part that's so interesting. Sometimes we make agreements, like sometimes, right? You and I will decide, all right, I'm going to yep. do something that doesn't honor God. But like at five years old, you're not even thinking of that. You're scared, Absolutely. you're vulnerable. And this is how pernicious the enemy can be, mm -hmm. is he seeds something in you that would have a grip on you uh, later in life. I, yeah. I got to ask you, you know, there, there's so many places you could go with this, but like when you're leading worship on a Sunday morning and you're into porn on a Saturday night, what is the dialogue happening in your head in yeah, the well, of that? You know, the, the, the dialogue... There actually wasn't a whole lot of dialogue when that was going on. Okay, the, 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 it, it was it was complete and total fractioning of that like part dissociation? of who I was. Dis, almost dissociation. I mean, you know, yeah. like that part of me was I, I would completely remove, and I would feel valued and secure in my performance and leading worship, almost as if it was a, a completely different person. Now, he, here's here's mm. the cool thing about it is it actually was a different part of myself. You see, hmm. there, there, there's different parts of ourselves. And again, this is a, some more psychobabble. And I've done a lot of this research going into the book, but realizing again that even psychologists that talk about, you know, us fragmenting ourselves and things, they may not believe in Jesus, but this is all scriptural. This is all found right. in the Bible, in our DNA and how God created us. But, but that is what ends up happening is we will, will disassociate with that part of ourselves and almost... Here's a crazy thing, Carrie, almost shame that part of ourselves. Like we almost like cast judgment upon that part of ourselves. And I did that for so long. Right. Like I was like, right. you know, I'm, 
that guy, the less and less he would show up in my life, the louder and louder the judgment from from good Christian Carlos who who you know uh, does things right would would look at him and cast shame and judgment. And I had to get to a point where I actually almost had to apologize to myself for the amount of shame I was heaping on mm. myself because it was so unhealthy. Um, but I'm, but th- now we're talking about, you know, now we're only talking about the last year of my life when I finally got to realize some of these spaces where I needed to ask forgiveness from myself um, because of all the shame I was heaping on myself. Shame's a big deal. How did you Bro. get out under that or how are you getting out under that? Yeah, you know, um, it, it, uh, it, it takes different ways for different people. I, I, am, I am 100% convinced, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, that therapy and counseling is essential, um, for, for any leader. And, um, it's, you know, not that it can't happen on your own, not that you can't just with the word of God and through prayer, get rid of these spiders. But what I realized, what I, I had to do is to go not only to just normal therapy, but I actually went to a place called onsite, which is seven days of experiential therapy in the backwoods of Tennessee with, 40 other people, um, Miles McPherson, I'm sorry, not, uh, Miles Adcock is a friend of mine and he runs um, on-site retreat centers. And my friend Donald Miller told me to go to it when I was kind of dealing with all this stuff. So I did. And so for me, it was seven days of of, of therapy. And he, he, this is actually where the story of Kill the Spider came from. I'm on my way to seven days of therapy. My wife and kids are in the minivan. Um, and they take your cell phones when you're there. And so, you know, it, it actually, it, it sounded like hell, to be honest with you. I didn't know why I was mm. going, but I knew that I kept making the same mistakes over and over again. So I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to call my dad cause I'm not going to talk to, I talk to my dad all the time. So I said, let me call him. I'm not going to talk to him for seven days and let him know I'm going to be MIA off the grid. So I call my dad and, um, and again, this was, this was after my marriage had been restored. This was after, mm. um, after I'd kind of again, clean the cobweb of pornography. Um, I called my dad and I said, Hey dad, listen, like I'm going to this retreat. Um, I don't know really why I'm going, but I needed to tell you that I'm going and, and I'm going to be off the grid for seven days. And he goes, Carlos, let me tell you why you're going. And my dad always has mm-hmm. stories, right? And so I'm like, dad, I only have 10 minutes left in the car <laughs> with, with Heather, like, you know, make us fast. And he goes, no, no, listen, when I was in Panama preaching a revival, when I was in my twenties and I'll go ahead and quit the accent now to, to not kill anybody here. But, um, <laughs> but when I was in my twenties, I, I was, I was in, in Panama. My, my, my dad's from Colón, Panama. And he said that a woman named Miss Ramirez got up during the first night of the revival during the invitation and came forward. And he said that she came forward and he said, can I pray for you? And she, because, you know, he said she's been in, in the church his entire life. Like he doesn't know why she would come down for an invitation. And she said, pastor, can you please pray that God cleans the cobwebs out of my life. And so my dad said, sure, like that, that's very poetic. I'll pray that. So he prayed that for the lady. The next night of the revival, she comes forward again and she asks, pastor, can you please pray harder that the Lord cleans the cobwebs out of my life, please? So my dad said, he prayed it again. Then the last night of the revival, Carrie, this woman, Ms. Ramirez gets up again, marches forward. And my dad's like, what in the world? She comes forward and he's thinking, well, maybe tonight she's going to tell me that he's done it. And she asks again, can you pray that God cleans the cobwebs <laughs> out of my life? And my dad said, he, you know, that he looked her square in the eyes and he said, no, I'm not praying that tonight. Tonight we pray he kills the spider. And, wow. and, and I hear this as I'm pulling into the parking lot at onsite and he goes, Carlos, I've watched you for 30 some odd years of your life, clean the cobwebs. You're an expert. You were there 
to kill the spider. And <sighs> I'll tell you what, Carrie, it, 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 it wrecked me. I walked in there now with a renewed purpose. I understood what it was I was going for. And so really kill the spider came from this story for my dad and it, it made total sense to me. Now, now one last thing here. I, I still believe, although therapy is important, I don't believe that if you're just going to therapy, that you can actually get to the very end of killing the spider. See, I thought I was going to walk into seven days of therapy and kill my spider. What I didn't realize was that I identified my spider there. I located the spider there. I cornered the spider there. But it was going to take it was going to take much more to actually drive a stake through the heart of my spider than than just talk therapy could do. That now it's going to take it's going to take the weapon of warfare. It's going to take the word of God and it's going to take prayer. And this place isn't a um, it's not a Christian place. So it got me. It got me to my spider, but I needed the Holy Spirit to kill it, and kill it I did. So how did that happen? So I, how did I get, you how did you kill it? Yeah. So I'm there. I have an incredible seven days. I finally get to a get to a moment where I um and 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 again, let me let me a caveat here. There we can have we, we have more than one spider. Okay. So um, oh yeah, it, <laughs> it's 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 not like we just we've just got one. You've got big hairy spiders. You've got little baby spiders. Um. And, and killing little baby spiders is different than killing big hairy spiders. Now, again, I say it's different because it may it may go faster, but I found my spider there, and the spider that I found there was that God, the lie that God had abandoned me. So at the end of seven days, okay, because here's the thing, Carrie, I had prayed that God would heal me from anxiety when I had my panic attack. I prayed for yeah. months, day, hours, day after day. And I still had it. I'd wake up and I'd still be shaking. And I made an agreement at that point that, well, God must be done with me. I've got anxiety. I've, I've got it forever. He, he, he must be done. And so mm. I made an agreement that God had abandoned me. And so there it was. I found it. I found the lie. Now, what did I have to do to kill it? I, I actually, to be honest with you, thought I killed it at onsite. I thought I killed yeah. it at therapy. Um, because I, you know, for a lot of us, when we find the lie, we're like, oh, like there it is. It's right there in front of me. If I just stop believing that, then, then it's going to be dead. Well, it, here's, here's the thing. Our words are so powerful. We, we don't even, we don't even understand the power of the spoken word. And, um, I realized that I had been, and even up and it took me another year after onsite to realize how to kill this spider. I had been saying things like, you know what? I, I have anxiety, but God has given me enough strength to live my life with anxiety. I, I have anxiety, but God has given me, you know, God is so powerful that he's given me enough carry that, that I can minister while I have anxiety. Now, why did I say that? I was saying that because what it was doing is it was giving hope to people that had anxiety. Oh, Carlos is a leader. Mm -hmm. Carlos, Carlos preaches, Carlos leads worship. He, he's saying that he has anxiety, but he can still do this stuff. Wow. God's so great. God's so powerful. Mm. Well, little did I know what was I doing? I was actually speaking with my lips, more lies. And what was the lie? Here's the thing. God does not want us to have anxiety. God doesn't actually wants me to not have it at all. But I was so scared that if I would pray for him to take it away and he didn't, here, here's another big lie that can sneak in. If I pray for him to take it away and he doesn't, maybe he's not real. If mm. I pray, maybe he's not real. So maybe if I keep this safe little, oh, well, I've got anxiety, um, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have enough strength to, to battle through it because God's so big. 
I had been binding myself with this lie over and over as I spoke it. And I had to finally get to the point where I had to break that agreement 100% confess. This is what I, what I say in the book. I mean, it's, it's not that difficult. I mean, listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking it's going to take 15 years of therapy, it may, (laughs) but but, but I promise you if, if you believe in the same God I believe in, if we believe in, in a God that can heal cancer and that can do all these amazing things, he could actually heal you of your, of your anxiety. And I stand here after I confessed, I rejected, and then I replaced. So I confessed the lie, I rejected the lie, and then I replaced the lie with God's truth in my life. That's when I drove the stake of that knife through the heart of that spider. And I stand here, I guess this is 13 months now since I've done this. It's been 13 months. Oh, oh, here's the other crazy thing. I've been writing the book now for two and a half years. Not until halfway into writing the book did I finally even kill this spider of anxiety hmm. for me. So I'm writing a book called Kill the Spider. And then it happens. And I'm, I'm, I'm 13, 14 months out now. I'm not, I'm not on my Paxil medication anymore. I haven't had one panic attack anymore. And I'm actually living free from anxiety. So no longer is my message, God's so so big that he can give me strength to live with anxiety. Now my message is, oh my gosh, God's so big that... I don't have it anymore. Does that mean, Carrie, that we're not in a broken world and that we're not going to be anxious and that I'm not going to deal with these things? No, absolutely not. We, we still do. But I'm now delivering a message of complete and total freedom, not just partial freedom anymore. So are you saying that's something everybody can get to? Like, I know a lot of people who do live with anxiety and it's just, in your yeah. view, they've got to find the spider or how, how does that work? Yeah, I, I'm. I, it is... And, and this is a complete departure. I mean, you, you can go back on my blog and read Carlos saying a completely different thing than mm-hmm. I'm saying right now, okay? I am saying right now that, yes, there is absolute and total possibility for freedom, complete freedom, if you have anxiety, if you have depression, if whatever whatever these... Because anxiety, you know, it can kind of tiptoe between a cobweb and a spider, right? But both and. Um, mm-hmm. But... But if you're if you're living with these things, whatever even your cobweb is, if you think there is no way, there's no way that I can ever be free from pornography. There's no way that I well listen, I don't know if we believe if we're believing in the same God here, because <laughs> there is there is there is palpable freedom for you um that that is very available. Yes, it's gonna take some work. It's gonna take some work. But but it yes, Carrie, it is. It is it is one hundred percent possible and it's 100% there for people to grab. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, as I've gotten to the source of a lot of the things that, uh, you know, maybe I made agreements with or whatever, I found a lot of freedom on the other side. And uh, it's it's incredible. Talk, Talk to us about your marriage, because um, I mean, that's, that's tough. So what Heather found yeah. the texts or the messages or how, yep. how did that happen? And then, and then what happened there? I think you had some great insights. No, absolutely. You know, she, um, she, she found the messages and she, she left away and it w- she, she went to our friend's house and she said, Hey, you got 24 hours to leave the house. Our marriage is over. Um, but here, here's the beautiful thing. She actually Let's see. So let's see. She found out the kids got taken. I spent the night, the next morning I woke up and Blake Bergstrom, who, whose house she had stayed at that night came to me and, and delivered me a letter. It was a seven page letter for my wife, um, that she'd stayed up all night long writing. And Carrie, it was not a letter 
it was not the letter I expected that, to get from her. It was a love letter. Mm. And oh she had actually written me one of the most, it was, it was incredible. Carlos, I love you because you were such a great father to our kids. I love you for all the adventures that we took. I love you for you know, making enough money so I could stay home with my kids. I love you for, and she wrote seven pages of a love letter. And at the beginning, she said, Carlos, this is a love letter to you, not because I'm bursting with love for you right now, but because of the love I've had for you for so long. And it's also quite sad that this is the last love letter I will ever write with the name Carlos on, on the top. And so, you know, I get done reading this letter, Carrie, and I sprint to the toilet and I expel whatever's left inside of my body. I, I was, I was, it was over. I, I, I read it and there was such a peace in her writing that I realized, oh my gosh, talk about killing a spider. She just got the biggest spider off her back and his name is Carlos. Like, like she, I could feel her freedom. I could feel the weight of me and my lies and all of these things off of her shoulder that she was suddenly stepping into a, a space that she'd not experienced before. Like, oh my gosh, I can actually live without this anchor to my neck named Carlos. Like I could actually, and so that's did what she I know? Was it love. bad before this incident or did, was this just a hidden thing? She had no idea you were happily married and all of a sudden it blew up or it no. was, there was a growing tension. No, there was there was a growing test. And again, like there was, you know, there there have been pornography issues before. There have been she yeah. found pornography before. There'd been there have been other things, but um there have been so many, so many lies and so many places of deceit that she, you know, she But she, she didn't know about this other relationship. No, no, she didn't she didn't know until until she opened the laptop. But she says yeah. she didn't know, but she knew. That's what she said. She's right. like, I, right. I didn't know, but I knew that you weren't you weren't here. Like you were gone. Like your heart was gone. Uh you were completely gone. So you know, again, I call Mike Foster, that conversation happens. I make yeah. a decision to end the, that one relationship and to chase this relationship named Jesus. Again, here's the difference, not chasing the relationship named Heather, chasing the relationship named Jesus. And I had to come to the point in my life where I was okay with losing my family. I, I've got my journal, you know, around here somewhere. I wrote like, God, I'm actually, I'm okay now. Like I'm okay with losing my, I made it poor choices. I've lost my family but i'm i'm not going to lose at life and so how how jesus can you continue to fill me and so healing began to happen and and i began to chase after truth so in therapy one day my my counselor told me he said you know carlos for a, for a lot of people um it's it's like it's like a football game like like your marriage people are looking at the last play where the you're losing by Four points. The mm -hmm. quarterback throws the touchdown pass to the receiver. The receiver drops it in the end zone. Oh, there it is. That's the play that that killed the game and they lost. But there was four quarters of football played before that. You've had your entire life before this that we've got to go back through and start healing these places in your life where the game was really lost. And so that carries what, what I started doing and started getting to some places um, and finding healing for me, and that was when Heather finally gave me a chance. When I stopped pursuing her, I stopped pursuing, you know, chasing, begging for her forgiveness. And there was about a month and a half, about six weeks, where um, the conversation shifted from me apologizing profusely every time that we'd have a text back and forth or an email back and forth to me just sharing a little bit about what God's teaching me. And so I started sending her one truth a day that God was teaching me. That's it. That was our only communication. Mm. One truth a day. I'd, I'd send it to her and I sent these truths to her for three months. 
And I was thinking that I was sending her these truths and she was reading them and, and, and like possibly like, wow, Carlos is growing so close with God. Maybe I'll give him another chance. Little did I know now I found out that she'd actually deleted every single one of them. She never read one of them. <laughs> But <laughs> never, oh my never, never, never read one. But here's the thing. Those oh, truths wow. weren't, those truths really weren't for her. They were for yeah. me. And so I was, what ended up happening was I was filling myself with God's truth, right? Which was replacing the lies, right? And, and when I started doing that, Carrie, there was a newness inside of me that, that was what she says, irresistible to her. She said, I've never seen mm. this version of you before. I've never uh, you know, and again, this was because I stopped chasing her and started chasing Jesus suddenly. And again, it wasn't like a week later. We're talking four months. And yeah. finally she said, hey, hey, let's I w- let's meet for lunch and you tell me a little bit about what God's teaching you. So we did. We met for lunch. I tell her what God's teaching me. Again, th- I mean, divorce papers are ready. Like we're, it's over. Like she's already told me mm. many times it's over. And then she said, hey, can we meet again tomorrow and talk more about Jesus? And I said, yeah. And next thing you know, we're meeting every day, twice a day. She's wanting to know what Jesus is teaching me. She's telling me what Jesus is teaching her. Next thing you know, hey, do you want to come over for dinner with the kids? Wow. Hey, do you, do you want to? And I'll tell you what, I'll never forget. It was six months later, six months after I'd moved out. I'll never forget, Carrie, walking back in my house. And the overwhelming feeling of, oh my, of just absolute awe. It said that God can, if God can do this, he can do absolutely anything. And, and I walked in and, and my family is, uh, you know, we're, um, we, we are, we're, we're in the midst of the, of the teen years now. I mean, this happened when my kids were, you know, in young elementary school. Um, but, but this is stuff we've been very vulnerable with our children about too. You know, we talked to our kids about their spiders and about their cobwebs and how, you know, that this is, you know, it's, it's known to my children what happened. Um, and, and how, and, how did they handle that? Um, Obviously, you have to be age appropriate. My my kids now, yeah, at, of course, at, of course. at fifteen, no more than they did at eight. <laughs> um, but uh, they they handled it with. Our kids are so much stronger than we give them credit for, and 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 the Holy Spirit is is I believe so much more tangible to a to a young elementary school kid than than he ever is to an adult because you're just not as jaded, and they they're they're not as calloused through whatever we've been calloused by, and so. You know, I, I believe we can be a lot more authentic and vulnerable with our young kids than we give them credit for. And I, and the Holy Spirit came in, protected their little hearts. Um, sure. Is there going to be therapy that they, they're going to need to have to go through because, you know, dad yeah. absolutely destroyed? Yes, I know that's going to happen, you know. But at the same time, my kids um, were on the journey with us. And, um, you know, Carrie, I mean, there's there. Hmm. You know, I, I can, I can, I can pretty this up as much as I can, but it was, it was miserable. There were, there were some church leaders that had it out for me. They, I'll never, I got a phone call once from a, a quote unquote friend of mine who, you know, who knew me in ministry and said, he called me, he said, Hey, I, I hope you feel the pain that you, that you caused, that your sin caused your family to feel because that pain is what's going to keep you from doing it again. And in the moment it's, he sounded right. Like in the moment, I was like, oh, mm. you know, like maybe that's true. But then again, I called Mike right after that because I wanted to jump out a window when my friend told yeah, me yeah. that, you know, and Mike's like, Carlos, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. That leads to repentance. Not yeah. not God's wrath, you know, so you, you've got to understand it's God's kindness. It's his love. So, so, you know, so it was, um, it was, a, it was, it was definitely 
I had to navigate a lot of relationships, but it, the beautiful thing is, is every single person, every single ministry I was involved with, every single person that, that had any sort of covering umbrella leadership over me totally accepted me back in. I mean, my, my friends at L I was leading worship at elevation at the time. And I remember, um, texting Wade joy, who's their worship pastor there and telling him, Hey man, I screwed up. Um, you know, I, uh, and it, kind of expecting him to be like, Hey, okay, well that's cool. You're never leading worship here again. And I'll just, mm -hmm. never, I'll again, never forget the prayer he prayed over me, the, a prayer of a comeback that he's like, Carlos, you're going to be back on our stage. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to be part of your healing and I'm going to walk alongside you. And sure enough, the first church I led worship at when, after all this happened was elevation and they were right mm -hmm. there. My friends at catalyst, Brad Lominick, I called him when that happened, I was leading worship at catalyst. Brad came along me again as grace as a friend. And I'll just never forget those friends of mine that came around me mm. and, um, and were the face of Jesus to me. I want to go back a little bit to when Heather left, the kids are gone, you've lost your family. And you said you decided to chase Jesus because I've known um, more than a few leaders, sadly, who have gone through a similar crisis, whether it was a, an emotional affair, an affair, a fall from leadership, but basically their whole life comes crashing down. Yeah, It's not automatic that you chase Jesus. Atheists are born in those moments. Cynics are born in those moments. Absolutely. People, people who just like, yeah, I used to believe, and they're either spiritual but not Christian, or they've walked away from the Christian faith entirely. Why did you not throw Christ in the garbage in yeah, that moment? I, I, Why did you I, lean into him? I think two reasons. Um, well, a, I want to let you know that for 24 hours, I was texting the other woman after this started. So it's not like, mm. it's not like my family left. And then suddenly I was like, oh, it may have been three days. Yeah. It was more like three days. It's so it's not, it wasn't immediate. It wasn't like, so my, my, my conversation was so you're like, now that she's gone, I can pursue this yeah, full time. Now, mm. now that she's gone. I mean, although I'm gutted and I'm destroyed, Apparently, well, now I've got another option. I've, I've got one right here. If my life is destroyed over here, why not chase after that? Mm. So two things here. For, for, first of all, my wife come to find out 24 seven was praying for me. Like my wife just as she was writing that love letter did not stop praying for who I was. And I believe that was so valuable for me mm. because I believe that when somebody is wounded in a situation like this, they have the tendency to become so bitter to, yeah. Yeah. And to, to almost speak wrath over the one that harmed them. Well, my wife did the complete opposite. And, and I in no way, shape, or form do I believe that, that that was a coincidence to the fact that I felt the prompting in the Holy Spirit leading me towards light, chasing after light. I believe that it was the prayers of those around me that was absolutely wow. essential when it comes to this. So, you know, um, so uh, hopefully what, what this me saying this is doing is putting a little bit of pressure on some people that are listening that may know some people that have failed may know some people that have not only failed, but chosen to chase after darkness. Cause what I, what I would end up doing before is, Oh, you know, I pray for their marriage and then, and then I would just kind of step back and judge them. I can't believe that he's actually doing that. I can't believe he's with another woman. Oh, I didn't know it was my, that bad. So therefore. I didn't know it was that bad, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and yeah. the prayers stopped, yeah. you know, the prayers stopped. And so I believe that was, that was of, you know, absolute importance. And then also, um, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty always, but I can look back now and I can look back at who I was devastated at day two and a half of the nuclear bomb going off in my family. And I can go back and I can see now 
Jesus right there with me. I, I can mm. I can see the Holy Spirit with me. I can see where he was in those moments. And hindsight being what it is, now I can look back and realize no matter how far I felt from God in those moments, <laughs> that, that's why the gospel is not based on our feelings, right? Because he was right there, like right there. The while you're texting the other woman, while oh, you're still making up while, your mind. While I'm texting the other woman, he's actually right there, like right there with me. He says that he's never going to leave me or forsake me. It was actually true. Like he, he was actually mm. right there. So even, even not knowing it at the time and looking back now and seeing it, I know that that was absolutely essential in my decision. So what made you cut things off uh, in the end with the other woman and just pursue a new life with Christ and a, a different, different path. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was a lot of it had to do with, with people showing me Jesus with skin on right in front of me. Mm-hmm. That that's, that's what, that's what it had to do with. A lot of it had to do with the Mike Foster's John Acuff. Yeah. I'll never forget. Um, mm-hmm. He took me out, gosh, maybe three weeks after this all went down and we're at lunch and him looking at me, and he, he took me to a scripture. I can't remember what it is, but John was like, Carlos, and I'm, I can't remember what disciple it was that had fallen in some way, shape, or form, but it said that he got up, he repented, and he continued to minister. And I remember John looking mm. at me saying, saying, Carlos, like, w- will you please right here show me all the hoops that you're supposed to jump through before you've got to, b- before you, you're able to minister again? Now, it may not look the same. Right. You're, you may right. not be standing on a stage, but that doesn't mean that you're not effective even right now. And so just people, Carrie, that that showed mm. me Jesus, that was that was so essential. I'll go and tell you if if Mike Foster, John Acuff, Blake Bergstrom, Pete Wilson at the time, um, uh, Justin Davis, if these men weren't surrounding me. In, in my moment of despair, I very well could be living in another state, not having this conversation with you with a whole bunch of stepkids. Uh, it, it, mm. it literally is that vital. That is how vital relationship is when it comes to this kind of stuff. You know what? I got two guys around me who are in the ditch, and yep. I'm going to call them in the next 24 hours right now. And it wasn't, it wasn't the same kind of thing, but they're just they're in their own world. And... I got to tell you, you know, my, my pain was burnout a decade ago. And I think about um, the friends who showed up at my house, the people who knocked on the door, uh, yeah. the people who prayed with me on my worst days. And, you know, in my case, there wasn't another woman or an affair or that kind of thing. It was just I was done. And, yeah. uh, man, it's the friends and the grace of God. It's Jesus with skin on. And yep. you know what? Exactly. I would just encourage every leader who like knows somebody who's where Carlos was, uh, call like call, Absolutely. go bang on their door, go yes. take them out whether they want to go out or not. Right. Yes. Yes. It's such so, a good word. Wow. So it's so, it's so true. And it's, it, it, it's not that much skin off your own back. I mean, it just, it's so amazing what a few conversations did for me. John didn't have to take me to tacos that day at a really bad taco joint here in Nashville that he thinks is really <laughs> good, but, but he did, <laughs> you know, he, and, the, yeah. and that, that 30 minute conversation shifted the course on, Oh my gosh, Maybe I am still viable as a as a minister and as somebody that can proclaim the gospel, you know, because I was I was feeling and understanding the gospel in a way I'd never before, right? And right. so now I can stand on stages from places of total defeat and not say 
what I was saying before, right? Not not make an agreement with, you know, you're you're God's going to give you enough strength to be stuck where you're at. No, to proclaim freedom that is possible for those leaders, even that are listening today on this podcast, that that hopefully have have just even a growing suspicion that freedom is near for them. Yeah, you need people to believe, and you had it. People who believed in you when you no longer believed in yourself. Yes, one yes. of whom was Heather, which was yeah. really cool. And you didn't know that and shouldn't have known it in that season no, either. I did not know that at all. Your your sin doesn't just impact those that you see and around you, but it impacts generations. I mean, it 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 yeah. it impacts so many people. And so, you know, you've got to understand the gravity, especially for those of you that may be listening that are that are maybe on the on the on the front door of a bad decision. You know, yeah. this, this bad, it decision, hasn't happened yet, but it's about yeah, to go down. It hasn't happened, yeah. but it's about to go down this decision. You know, the, what, whatever medicate medication that comes to your pain points in your life, because you want to make this decision in, in no way, shape or form is, is worth it. It's just not, I, I ruined a lot of people, um, a lot of people's views of a lot of things. And, you know, for some people, time is going to be the only thing. But there's there's definitely people that are still wounded because of the decision that I made. Um, and I can only do um, I, I can only do what I know to do. And that's to chase after Jesus. And, you know, and and hopefully um, hopefully healings happen on that side. But, you know, that that side of the story, I let kind of take place um, without without my my kind of muscling in there. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Um, Carlos, you have thousands, actually tens of thousands of listeners listening right now, leaders listening right now. Um, some of them are at that precipice. We all have a spider or two in our lives and they look different. Some's headline worthy, some are not, you know, it's just whatever it happens to be. What is your advice? I mean, if there's two or three things that, you know, let's take pornography, for example, somebody's like, wow, that's my story. And it's a growing problem with women as well as with men. Absolutely. Uh, what What do they do? What are What are some first steps? Yeah, you know, I, I think some first steps are um, the, the the first thing we need to get to. And and he, here's a you know I probably spent three quarters of the book, not three quarters, a third of the book, really talking about prayer and what how jacked up my view of prayer was. Carrie, mm-hmm. when 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 I when I learned when I learned to finally pray and what it meant to pray. That that was a tool that I I I didn't have when I was when I was in the in the throes of pornography, and so so you you don't have to get to a place where you're in a counselor's office to ask the Holy Spirit to show you places where maybe some agreements and some lies were made that have led you to this place of pornography, right? So just with a with I mean a tangible step for me that I do it every day, every single day I've got a a seven-page daily prayer that I pray. I pray it out loud, and I ask God to start having a conversation with me in this journal. And so I spend about thirty minutes after that writing my conversation down. You know, and so for mm. some people listening to this, they're like, "Well, I don't know. I've never really even heard from God. I, I don't know what that means." Again, um, start with baby steps. I'm not saying that that you you go after the massive hairy spider right away. Okay. It's probably, you, you don't go to the gym and the first day try to bench 300 pounds. Like you, you start yeah. small, you know, start small. So, True. so, so if you have an issue with pornography, let, let's maybe, let's maybe move to a smaller, uh, cobweb in your life first. Okay. So, um, 
what, what are some small spiders that are birthed? So it, here's a great example. You and I were at, uh, you, were, you were helping with Rethink Leadership Conference in yep. uh, Atlanta uh, a couple months ago. And, and this is a great example of how spiders can be birthed very quickly, really small. I had showed up to do my main session talk that actually Brad Lominick asked me to do maybe three days before. So I, 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 did, I didn't necessarily have a lot of time to prepare, but I was like, you know, I can get up there and do it. I show up and I look at the, at the planning center, whatever list of whatever, and Bob Goff is speaking right before me. And John Acuff mm-hmm. is speaking right after me. And can I tell you the lie and the agreement that I suddenly made was, oh my gosh, Bob is everyone's favorite grandpa and John <laughs> is the funniest human on earth. What in he the is. world are they going to get from me? What in the world can I deliver to these pastors that are in this room? And Carrie, in a, in a second, I'd made an agreement that I was not going to be able to perform as well as I needed to. And wow. can you see how quickly yep. a spider can be given birth? So any speaker I, has been there. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And so what I had to do was I I had to pray. I had to confess that lie. I had to renounce and reject that lie. I like I went to the bathroom and did that. Confess that lie, rejected, renounced the lie, and then replaced that lie with God's truth. Now, did I have my journal? No, I didn't have my journal. But later that night, I went in and I started journaling. Okay, God, this lie that I broke, this agreement that I broke today, Holy Spirit, can you show me? Maybe give me a memory. Maybe give me a thought. Maybe give me a song or something. Maybe where this, where, where this came from or or what happened. And I'll tell you what, Carrie, <laughs> that night when I was at the Hyatt Inn or wherever I was sitting, I remember, and I had not had this memory before, and this was 30 seconds after I asked God to show me a memory. I had a memory of when I was back at my, at my old church, the ad- administrative pastor coming up to me after I preached my very first message coming up to me. I'd never had this memory before. And him saying, hmm. hey, Carlos, Carlos, that was uh, that was really good. But you know what? You need to stick to singing is what he said. And he was being kind of <sighs> funny. He was being kind of funny when he said it. I think he was joking with me. But God allowed me to remember that memory at that moment. That was a key for me to unlocking why I was making this agreement with Bob and John. See, everything's interconnected. And if we if we start having these conversations with God, as opposed to giving speeches to God in our prayer, asking him to show us specific things, bro, it, it's going to blow your mind when you start receiving these memories and these thoughts from the Holy Spirit that, that you didn't even know were there. And so that's just a small example of a way that God can show you things. I didn't hear God say, when you were at Sandals Church and blah, 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 walked up to you. Mm-hmm. No, but, I, but I, I remembered a moment. It was just a memory in time. And you you pray and it happens. No, and I think I think that's that that can be far more powerful than somebody who hasn't tried that can it gives it credit for. Yep. And yep. it can be as simple as just saying, God, show me. Like, okay, I'm struggling with porn or I'm struggling with, you know, attractiveness to this other person, or I'm uh struggling with just pride or insecurity. Where yep. on earth is this coming from? Because if you yep. can identify it, um, yes, you kill yes. the spider. Yes. What about spouses, people who are in Heather's shoes, who have got, it's like, you know, we all got our own stuff, but it's like, well, it's kind of not me. It's who I'm married to, and we're going through this right now. Any yep. word for spouses? Yeah. You know, uh, the, I, mean, you know I think the word is going to be, um, it's going to be, it's so hard. It, it's been so hard for Heather um, to, to, to say this in like a, I think sometimes you want to say it in a, in a way that's soft and in, in a way that is, um, yeah, in, in, in a pretty way. But Heather, Heather will just say it to people like, 
Listen, like if I say that I believe in a God of the impossible, if I say that, if this is who I'm singing, you're the God of da 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 on Sundays, if I'm singing these songs about oceans, if I'm, if I'm really believing in this God who is going to, we're saying it, right? We say it with our lips. She'll, she'll say it all the time. People say, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. May my mm. faith become stronger, right? As you're singing oceans. And then what happens when you're up to your neck in water on Thursday, after you've sung oceans on Sunday, you're thrashing around like, where are you, God? Yeah. You know, and so Heather says all the time, she's like, I be- I actually believe in that God. So so it, if there's a spouse that's listening and, and your spouse is in the middle of this mess, right? Is in the middle of, of deceit and lies and despair. Like God can actually heal them. God can actually bring freedom and restoration to them. And not only to them, but to you, to give you a, a sense of hope and a sense of freedom. And, and your journey is going to look different. Here, here's the thing. Heather and I didn't get divorced, but we separated for six months. Like yeah. we weren't living together. So there was a drastic measure that needed to be taken. Okay. And so some of you guys maybe haven't even taken the measure drastic enough in order for for, for for this healing to begin to happen. So, you know, for us, it was pretty drastic. For those listening, I just just two things. A, remember, you do believe in a God of the impossible. Um, mm. and, and, and this isn't just fluff. This isn't just like, you know, oh, God can do anything. It, this, this isn't just a Pinterest Bible verse. Like, this is truth. <laughs> this is actual truth yeah. that, that, that he really can do this. And then second of all, you know, um, I, I want to let people know, too, that, you know, and I say this a lot, you know, if you're in a relationship where in any way, shape or form, you are being, um, it's not safe for you. Um, then, mm. then, you know, you got to get out, you know, you, you've got to get out, you've got to find safety. And just because you get out and find safety does not mean that you still don't believe that God can redeem and, and restore what's there. Mm. Carlos, this has been just a, a really honest conversation and I, I so appreciate it. Um, anything else you want to share with leaders before we wrap up? You know, uh, Carrie, I, I just, um, I, I, I do feel like there are going to be a, a vast spectrum of people that are listening to this podcast that may think to themselves, you're going to have your spectrum of like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm in the midst of massive sin. Then you're going to have mm. the spectrum of, you're going to have the spectrum of, of no, I'm actually not. And I'm actually free, right? I'm actually free from mm from, from, from this thing that, that, um, that you guys have been talking about. I, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll 100% say, it. I honestly believe that, that what God is going to do through, um, the message of kill the spider, I think it can bring such freedom and healing to people in a way that is safe. And so as, as more, as more and more people have read the book, they're just telling me, you know, Carlos, you're talking about spiritual warfare, but it's not in a in kind of a, a a crazy way that makes me feel uncomfortable. Like this is actually, yeah. this I almost actually, went there. I almost, you know, and, and yeah. I, I get that. I mean, I'm familiar yeah. with that and it yeah. is spiritual. This is a, it, this is a spiritual battle that plays itself out it in is. the flesh and blood. It is, it is. And so what, what, what I, what I think people are being able to, to pull out of the, the message of the book is that I, I take them to this space of this is spiritual warfare, but we're not going to, you know, th- this ain't, I'm not bringing snakes out. We're not getting crazy on, you know, hmm. in the book, but we are definitely getting to a space where I think evangelical conservative 
people that may just kind of come to church once a month, come to your congregations once a month, and uh, we can get them into a deeper conversation of what true healing means um, through through the book. I believe in the book. I believe in the message of it, and and I believe that you know if you're if you're a leader or you're somebody listening to this podcast and you think, man, I'd love to 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 think about bringing this into my church. Um, I believe that it'd be a valuable resource for you guys to use as well. Not only if you're in the need in in the need of healing right now, but even for people that are in your church, it'd be a great resource for them. So, where can they find you online? What's the easiest place to access you in the book, Carlos? Yeah, you know, uh, you can start at killthespider.com, and that'll take you everywhere. That takes you to my website, carloswhitaker.com, and then. I'm on, you know, I'm on all the places with Carrie. I even got Carrie to sign up for Snapchat at one point. I don't know if he still does or not. You did. I still have an Uh, account. I think you're the only person I've ever Snapchatted with. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I'm Uh on Snapchat. What is your dominant platform these days? Is it Snap or is it Instagram or what? No, it's it's Instagram. I I would I tell people all the time that I feel like Instagram is the new blog. I mean, people called me a blogger forever because I had a blog, but I I haven't blogged on my blog WordPress platform in I mean months. I don't think and and Instagram. I'm writing four paragraphs a day and people are, you know, that's where I blog now. So Instagram, Instagram. Is, is, is my world. Yeah. And are you lost wit on Instagram? I know I follow. I am. L-O-S-W-H-I-T. <laughs> all right. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Carlos, yeah, thanks for tackling a really important and a really difficult conversation. Uh, I think we've had it well and the conversation's messy, but I would just say there's, you brought a lot of hope to a lot of leaders today and families. Thank you. Yeah. Yes and amen. Thanks, buddy. You know, I saw Carlos uh, after we recorded that interview and I just thanked him for being so honest and so real. And uh, he, he has just been so transparent uh, and I hope in a helpful way and a healing way. And if you're there, Um, maybe this is a turning point for you. Maybe this is an opportunity to really find a new beginning. You can find everything we talked about, including all the links to everything, including myleadershippipeline.com and the coupon code and, um, you know, this podcast and beyond by going to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 161. Another way to find it is to go to leadlikeneverbefore.com and just click on blog and search for Carlos Whitaker. That'll do it. And you'll also have all the links to his new book, Kill the Spider, there as well. So, hey, I am so thankful that we get to do this again next week. Isn't that a lot of fun? We're going to come back with a brand new episode. And our episode next week, well, here's a little excerpt. It's uh, a conversation with Jared Wilson. Again, um, you know, big stuff about depression, anxiety, suicide, and the church's response to mental health. A huge issue. Uh, So number one, uh, the spiritual side, trying to do things on my own, not letting Mm. God into the picture because Jared could do it. And here's the thing. I think a lot of times I wasn't even thinking of it as a prideful thing. It was like, God, I don't want to burden you. So I'll just take care of it. I I, I was like, God, I feel bad. I don't want to burden you. So I'll take care of it. So it was letting God in and realize that I can't do things in my own strength. The second part, and this is a big one for a lot of people, is people-pleasing. It was me having my worth based on the opinions of everybody else. I That has been hands down the biggest thing that I've had to wrestle through. 
and thank the Lord Almighty that about three and a half years ago, I found complete freedom to that to where I don't care. Like literally, you asked me four years ago if I tweet something and someone has something bad to say about it, I immediately start racking my brain going, wait, should I delete this? Did I say something wrong? Uh, you know, oh, I didn't mean it that way. Now I just realize I could literally say the sky is blue and some dude with a stinking Twitter account is going to go, well, actually, the sky is this color and it reflects <laughs> off the color of the it. I could say anything. I could say God is love and someone's going to go, well, actually. And I'm like, come on. So I have to realize that I'm 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 not going to be able to um, get the approval of, of everybody in this world because it just it's not like that. And so I found freedom from that a long time ago. But that was one of the big things for me. I was always worried about, did I say the right, even like during conversations, did I say the right thing? Did that sound stupid? What are they thinking about me right now? If I say this, will they like me? If I say this, will they maybe think I meant this? And I was literally analyzing everything that was going on, the way I was walking, the way I was talking, the way I was dressing, everything I was doing was to try to impress the people around me. Um, and I was in doing that, I was forgetting about who I was uh, and letting go of my own you know, self-worth. So that's next week. Uh, you definitely don't want to miss that. And of course, if you subscribe, which uh, many of you do, that automatically comes into your inbox next Tuesday. So I started this podcast talking about just the different time sequences, you know, of recording a podcast. But before we go, just yeah, this is the very first episode I've recorded since uh, the passing of Nabil Qureshi. And longtime listeners will remember that back in season one, actually episode 53, I sat down with Nabil and had a wonderful conversation, actually had the privilege of meeting him and talking to him. And what a, what a fierce mind, what a beautiful heart, what a compelling story from, you know, Islam to Christianity and uh, what a tragic passing. I know, you know, he, he is with Christ, the Savior that he uh, confessed as Lord, but still what a uh, what a what a great contribution he made in his short 34 years. So just wanted to acknowledge Nabil Qureshi. And if anyone is listening who is a very, very good friend or family member, just know we've been praying for you. And uh, in this life, he will be missed. Um, but there, thank God, is far more than just this life. And that's what we're all working toward, right? That's what you're making a contribution to and I'm trying to make a contribution to. And together we can all help each other. And we are so grateful for the contribution that Nabil made in his uh, short but meaningful life. So we are back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, I hope our time together today helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.